airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aaron Addison's on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you spending some time with the Addison's today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. We have a guest who will join us today. We're going to talk um, post, post-abortive recovery today mm-hmm. and um, talk about the deeper still retreats. Uh, again, and you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this yesterday mm-hmm. when we were interviewing um, Jeffrey with Blind Eyes Open. Um, but I should have mentioned that there is um, a great article on the documentary Blind Eyes Opened in the January-February issue of the AFA Journal. Yeah, I am reminded of that because there is a great article on the deeper still retreats we're going to talk about today also in the same issue. Mm-hmm. And so if you get the AFA Journal, mm-hmm. then you can find more information on what we discussed yesterday and today. Yeah. So I want to recommend awesome. that. Um, and I think what we could do is because these journal articles are also online, we could put links into the story so that if you want to read it online, you can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So coming up a little bit later in the program, we're going to talk with Karen Ellison, who is the founder and director of the post-abortion retreat for women and men called Deeper Still. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I think it's eye-opening when you allow yourself to think about the reality of, of what we're discuss- discussing when we're talking about the murder of babies Mm -hmm. and that um, both men and women are affected. Right. We don't often allow ourselves to go that deep and to think about the reality is that two people have conceived a child and two people are ultimately responsible. Right. And two people need healing. Yeah. After an abortion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about that before we do Mm -hmm. um, want to let our listeners know again, I, I think that this is such an important conference that we're participating in. So I want to tell as many people as we can um, that the gospel is enough. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we don't Definitely. have a need for a new gospel. And uh, and so anyways, um, February 7th and the 8th mm-hmm. in Bartlett, Tennessee, which is in the Memphis area. Right. Bartlett, Tennessee. Yes. Okay. Bartlett, Tennessee in the Memphis uh, area. The gospel is enough conference uh, for information for that. You can go to gospel is enough. Gospel is enough. Dot com. com. I have it right here mm-hmm. you, and it has all the information that you need and, you know, speakers, all of that. And uh, I definitely would say that it's something that you should consider coming to. I, I think um, the topics that will be covered is will be uh, well worth it mm-hmm. for what's uh, coming against the church. Exactly. Today, right. And you know? our listeners have heard us talk about this um, off and on. Certainly, you know, go, going further back when we were really doing a deep dive in this and trying to understand how all of this was happening um, on the morning show. You know, mm-hmm. we'd spend hours talking about this. And uh, what I'm going to be tackling at the conference is the uh, the destructive philosophies that have infiltrated the church. These are academic philosophies, um, 
steeped in man's wisdom. Yeah. And uh, they stand in direct opposition to the wisdom of God. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm going to be exploring that, talking about the roots of that and then how we have to stand against it. We really don't have a choice and it's come nigh our dwelling. So we can't just say, well, that's just the world. Right. You know, we no, laughed <laughs> in the beginning when people started saying things like check your privilege. Yeah. You remember this yeah. was a big uh, this was a collegiate level deal. And we thought that's hilarious. Right. Like that's hilarious yeah. that they're doing they're like serious. rating scores to see who's the most privileged. And so you have to check all of these points. We thought that was ridiculous. I remember covering those stories. I remember seeing those stories on Fox News and, you know, watching these college students talk about how, you know, they were, you know, sing uh, singled out because mm -hmm. um, they had privilege and all of these things. And we're looking at that and we're going, well, that's hilarious. Right. And now here we are. This has made its way into the church mm -hmm. where brothers and sisters are telling each other what they can and cannot talk about. Mm -hmm. And that revolves around the certain level of privilege <laughs> points that they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that right there, that's just one example of how we have seen these man-made philosophies mm -hmm. and theories mm -hmm. infiltrate the church. Right. For some of our listeners, they're like, oh, my goodness, now that you say that, I do remember when that was an external conversation. But yeah. now you see it's happening in the house of God. Yeah. So we need to declare that the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. We don't need all this other stuff. That, Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Something else I've had in front of me that I wanted to cover for a while and it just, you know, things keep coming up to the top here. But this, again, falls into the category of why parents need to be vigilant. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is another example. Now, this is a Canadian example, um, but it's worth mentioning because I think it shows us what the enemy's ultimate plan is. And so when we say, you know, <laughs> protect your children, that mm. the enemy is coming after your children, and we cover stories that happen in the media and in entertainment mm -hmm. and certainly in education. Most recently, we were um, diving deeply into sex ed and what the moves are there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of this is to undermine parental authority and to rob you of your children That's in right. other words it is to get you to foot the bill for their for their rearing mm -hmm. but then for for the world and the culture to own their hearts right they want to do the uh indoctrination that's right like you can go ahead and you know take care of them as far it's as okay. you know give them food shelter and all that's that that's right but as far as their minds yeah they, that's theirs they want that that's exactly right they're like they're their like minds, their hearts all that they're like we will do philosophy mm -hmm. and you can do falafel <laughs> that's good I like right that. is that okay i like falafel too. okay good yeah, yeah me too um <laughs> here's a story out of out of, of out of canada british columbia's top court ruled um that schools can require children to participate in religious or spiritual rituals now watch this such as smudging ceremonies from first nations culture despite parental objections to the explicitly religious aspect of, quote, cleansing the spirits of children. That sounds wacky. Cleansing the spirits of children. Wacky. Here's the story. In 2015, a Port Alberni school required children to participate in a smudging ceremony whereby smoke from burning sage was fanned over the classroom. Mm. <laughs> fanned over the, the furniture, fanned over the kids, the children were made to participate in a letter to parents. The school claimed that this ritual took place for the express purpose of cleansing the children's spirits of negative energy. Oh man. <laughs> Later in the school year, a prayer was offered at a mandatory student assembly. Now I want you to imagine what the outrage might be 
if a pastor went in and was like, hey, oh. I brought some oil here. We have we have, we yeah. have we're calling for the elders. <laughs> so if all the students could just come forward, we want to just, you know, put a little oil on lay your head hands. and we're going to just lay hands on you. Everybody get your hands up right where you're standing. Get your hands up. Get oh, your man. Can you imagine? Oh, man, they flip out. Can, <laughs> but we're going to burn sage <laughs> and we're going to blow the smoke over the kids. We're going to smudge the kids and we're going to cleanse their spirits, but not just their spirits. We're going to cleanse the spirits that reside in the objects in the classroom. Guys, this is what we're talking about. Wow. When a Christian mom complained, her complaint was rejected out of hand. This Mm. is this is not spiritual like you think. (laughs) This is not spiritual like you think. That's crazy. The week long case against school district 70 was heard in November 2019 um, in British Columbia, the Justice Center representing the mother, Candace Servatius, whose two children were subject, subjected to a religious or spiritual ritual at John Howard Elementary School without her knowledge or consent. Her children were made to participate in this without her knowledge or consent. Witnesses for the Attorney, Attorney General of British Columbia and the New Chulnuth Tribal Council, which intervened in the case, testified during cross-examinations that this is not consistent with First Nations practice to compel anyone to be smudged against their will. So in other words... So the school is taking the liberty that... The school is taking the liberty and forcing something that this tribe does not even even require. Look at that. But this shows to me, (laughs) this shows the demonic driving force behind this, right? This is the the demonic driving force that is behind this. The letter from mm. the school outlines specific beliefs of the new Chath North tribe. I'm probably not saying that right. Probably not, but but yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Here, here's the belief from this tribe: the ones that you know, the school decided to use their cleansing practices right. over the children. Right. Everything is one. All is connected, and everything has a spirit. The school's letter described in detail how the cleansing ritual would cleanse the classroom of energy and cleanse the spirits of the students. The letter claimed that without cleansing the classroom and even the furniture, that the children in the classroom would harbor negative energy and would not be safe until the energy was released. Yeah, you want to take like Christian prayer and stuff out of school. Would you want to? And I know you (laughs) said Canada, you know, but imagine some kids, you know, and they'll say, hey, we want to have a prayer meeting in class. And we'll we'll lay hands on the furniture, but not to have evil spirits in it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, saying? this is it's this cr- is ridiculous. It's crazy. Like so, I mean, like you're saying, the flip side, it would be outrageous. Like people would they'll be they'll flip out if it was Christians saying that we want to pray, you know, against uh, uh, whatever. You know, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. According to this article, rituals like this have been performed in the past, where there have also been prayers offered to unspecified gods. Mm. where parents were not notified. Now, you know, again... I'm glad this parent, you know, uh, said something. Yeah, but but she's losing. Yeah, but she She said something. She stood up and she said something. I wish the kids would have said something. Somebody in that class would have been like, hold on. Yeah. You know. You know, we were talking to our kids the other day, and and one of the things that we told them is that it's not enough for them to be able to regurgitate information. Mm -hmm. You've got to put that information in practice. It's not enough for you to know how to answer all the questions to know how to show what you know, that is not enough. Right. The The object of knowledge is not knowledge. <laughs> you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? The person, the thing that you have to ask you, this is what J.I. Packer said in his book, Knowing God, when he 
and he starts off the book, he says, we've got to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this knowledge? Mm. Remember? He mm-hmm. said, J.I. Packer said, what are we going to do with this knowledge? So, we, so it's good. It's right that we seek to know God. Mm-hmm. It's great that we want to know our creator, but one has got to stop and ask oneself, what do you, oneself, what do you plan to do with this knowledge once, you, once you've had it? Mm-hmm. Right? Because right, right. So, the object of it is not just that we raise kids who can give us all the answers. I, mm. I want my kids to know the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to know who all the apostles were. Mm-hmm. I want my kids to understand church history. Mm. But if they're in a situation, in a setting where, they're, where their Christian conviction is being violated, what good is them knowing all the right answers if they don't know how to act that out, how to live that out? True. So True. We, have to, we have to go a step further in our discipleship that we teach our kids what they know is also so that they can live for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you've got your kid in a situation and this, look, to any parent, but especially if your kid is being educated outside of your presence. Yeah. You've got to empower your kid to raise objection respectfully. And and I think this kind of, you know, and people don't like to talk about this, but I think it kind of shows that all kids are not ready to be just given over to these indoctrination no, camps. No. You because know? they're 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 outaged, yeah. if we could say it that way. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. gonna be very difficult for a child to raise objection to a person they perceive to be an authority. True. They're going to take that as like, okay, I got to do this. I got to go with it. Man, one other thing I want to, I want to try to get to this before we come back in the second segment, we need to be in prayer for South Dakota. They've got uh, a lawmaker there who or state representative who is doing something that is extraordinary uh, by way of trying to protect children. And uh, tomorrow, yes, tomorrow, January 22nd, the, uh, the house state affairs committee is having a hearing for a bill that is being presented by um what is the man's name i have the the representative fred deutsch okay fred deutsch uh from florence south dakota south dakota state legislature is considering a bill that would bar doctors from prescribing puberty blockers and performing transgender surgeries on minors mm-hmm. this would be this would be and I don't want to overstate it, but a life-saving measure for children. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? A quality of life-saving measure for children. Right. The proposed legislation would make administering transmedicalization and related procedures a felony offense if performed on underage children. <laughs> this is a great thing yeah. that this representative has proposed. So we need to pray. We need to pray because there's going to be resistance. The enemy's not going to just roll over. We want to protect children. Mm-hmm. We care about children's health, right? The enemy's mm-hmm. not going to just roll over. So we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in South Dakota. This would be a blessing for them to have children protected from the ill and adverse effects of puberty blockers. All right, we got to grab the break. Erin the Addison's on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you spending this hour with us as we talk about the issues of, of the day and dive deeper on, mm-hmm. on occasion. We don't take it for granted that you allow us to right. spend this hour with you. So thank you so much for doing that. I want to also remind you that you can get podcasts for the show when you go to AFR.net, 
AFR.net. If you come across a show that you hear and you want to share it, probably best to do it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also follow us across all of the yeah, social media. Yeah, Erin Addison's mm-hmm. searches. If you do a search, you'll be able to find us there. We put links uh, in the in the show notes for any stories that we discuss. In fact, the two that we've discussed today will be linked uh, in, in the podcast. So again, AFR.net is your starting point. Uh, welcome back. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Toby Mac. I just need you. We have been spending, um, um, I think, an appropriate amount of time mm-hmm. uh, talking about life and the yeah. importance of defending and protecting life. Um, even for us, we've had some eye-opening moments mm-hmm. here in the month of January that we've been discussing uh, on and off air mm-hmm. and uh, you know, praying and asking the Lord what our greater role is to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as we continue talking about um, the importance and the sanctity of life, uh, we turn our attention now to the healing that must take place for men and women mm. who are po- post-abortive. Mm-hmm. And I think so often, and, and we'll have another guest on, uh, I guess in a couple of days, I think, um, who is a post-abortive man. Mm. And I think that sometimes people don't think about that. Right. You know, because we have kind of almost bought into the secular um, position mm-hmm. that it is just a woman's body and right. it is just the woman's decision. She yeah. alone is or isn't affected by what she does or doesn't do. Well, that is a lie. Right. And so it's important for us to recalibrate in that way. Um, I want to go to our guest now, Karen Ellison, who is the founder and director of a post post-abortion retreat for both men and women, uh, deeper still the deeper still weekend. And uh, I want to talk about how this came to be and why there is a need to go deeper still than I think many Christians realize when we talk about post-abortive counseling. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing, and I appreciate that we get to have, you know, what I guess are uncomfortable and tough conversations. Uh, We need to have these conversations probably more than we are having them. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and share your testimony, how the Lord... Um, has used you in this this work and this ministry of healing for women and men who are post-abortive? Yeah, well, abortion is part of my own story. Um, I was in college. I was a Christian at the time. And um, although I didn't know that much about abortion, um, I would say, though, that I had a deep conviction in my heart that, you know, pregnancy meant there was a baby. Uh, So I wasn't in denial of that, Um, and I did have a belief, if you would have asked me, I would have told you, you know, I believe abortion is wrong. But, you know, when you're in a crisis situation, there are voices and pressure Mm. that can be louder and more powerful than your conviction. Mm. And that's really what I experienced, was just pressures from different people who felt like it would be the best thing. For me if I would have an abortion and I even remember um, <clears throat> my boyfriend at the time said and he too was walking in his own level of fear and deception and crisis and needing a way out and all that and I remember him saying you know even if you have an abortion at least we would know the baby would go to be with Jesus wow. Wow. and so even though there was a part of me like I knew that if there was a grain of truth in that, like I did believe mm-hmm. children would go to heaven. But at the same time, it, there was something twisted about it. Yeah. But I didn't know how to defend. I didn't know how to defend against that. And plus, I was just insecure and scared. And so ultimately, I just consented. I went along with it. 
So even though it took me some years before I had enough, um, you know, beginning my healing journey before I could even speak about it. Like, I couldn't even say the word abortion. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't even say it. I would almost gag at it. So, And the thought of someone asking me about it or the thought of someone even asking my opinion about abortion was like, I, I, I would have to walk out of the room. Like, mm-hmm. I would get anxious. My heart, like, I couldn't, I just couldn't go there. And mm-hmm. so I was in several awkward situations when the, uh, you know, abortion came up and I would just have to excuse myself. But still, God in his goodness, you know, he pursued me. He would not let me stay in my broken condition. And he kept inviting me to, to you know, come to come for healing, to come and, um, you know, just reconcile my heart and mm. all that, all that involved in that. So ultimately, that's, that was my journey. I started on a, a healing journey, and the Lord met me over a period of years in all kinds of ways. But ultimately, out of that, you know, I had obviously a very much a compassion and a passion for people with what I call abortion-wounded heart. And the Lord asked me at some point when I was healed enough to not be too afraid of it, mm-hmm. you know, he said, will you join me? He, he in essence said, will you join me in this, in this mission to rescue the brokenhearted and to set the captives free Wow! and, and to help bring beauty for ashes? Yes. And so that's what I said yes to. You know, Karen, I want to double back to um, something that I think you pointed out, which really I, I think is, and I, I want to get your experience on this. I want to I want to know what the Lord has shown you through this work. But even as you're describing your testimony, Karen, and I'm listening, I think that many Christians have this picture of like Michelle Williams or Michelle Wolf. When we think about, you know, women who are um, shouting their abortion, we kind of disconnect ourselves and we say, a woman who maybe identifies as a Christian, well, she is not a real Christian. And so that's not who we're talking to. But I think there was something incredibly important about the way you just described your story with your experience with complete honesty and with complete humility. Because I think that we are dealing with more people who would share your experience than the church cares to admit. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, just, even though we don't have a lot of statistics about this, you know, mm-hmm. the thing about abortion is you're, to get real honest answers, like you just said, is rare because people are constantly, you know, uh, you're couching it in a different ways or you're avoiding it or you're justifying it. I mean, there's, it's just hard to get a lot of honesty when you're still very much in your woundedness. Mm-hmm. But statistically, for the few steps that are out there, it's showing us, you know, somewhere around 70% of, American women who have abortions identify themselves as Christian. Mm-hmm. That means they are at least identifying themselves as that, that's who I am. So, so you know, we as the church, we ask ourselves, what is, what is different from that statistic and the world statistic? Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of difference. Right. And so there are millions of abortion women, aborted women and men sitting in church pews, and they're not talking about it. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. And so that just shuts everybody down, including pastors and teachers, where they don't know how to address it without having the fear that they're going to hurt people even more. Right. So what that ends up is, is everybody's silent. Hmm. 
So and that's what we need to break. And that, that I agree with you. That is what we need to break. As you're talking, I'm thinking, and, and I don't know if you want to <laughs> offer some insight on this. If I ask you anything, Karen, and you're like, oh, Miki, that's not my area, then you just tell yeah. me, okay? But I just, <laughs> I just enjoy um, being able to learn and to grow with other believers. And so this is an opportunity for me to do that. So yeah. the, the thing I'm wondering about right now is the healthy spiritual balance between the church always agreeing with the scriptures, right? So, and, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this. So the church must say what God says about sexual immorality. The church mm-hmm. must call sin what God calls sin. And at the same time, the church must have the type of compassion and love that when it is extended, it might spare someone the type of pain that you went through. Mm-hmm. What is the right balance? How do we communicate that where we don't say, oh, there's no line anymore. Don't worry about it. It's all just grace. But we also don't want to condemn people to where when they find themselves in a situation where the other pressures are so great, they cannot overcome them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great questions. And so I have a few responses I could I could uh, offer out there. You know, even after I had my abortion, within a couple months, I and my mother, because my mom and my father were actually involved in that decision as well, but my mother and I, who were both, we were so racked with guilt and shame and didn't know how to talk about it, didn't want to talk about it. But anyway, my mom and I went to visit a pastor one day, and it was out of town. It was far from where we lived because, you know, we didn't want to go anyone who knew us, Mm -hmm. you know, which is all part of the bondage of it. But Anyway, I, you know, when I, and I was 22 years old, so here I am sitting down with this pastor, which was, took a lot of courage to begin with, and I kind of poured my story out to him. Hmm. And, you know, he said that his response to me, he was very compassionate, but his response to me was, in essence, you know, Karen, you've been through a hard thing, and, you know, you've had the rest of your life before you. Maybe you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. That's how he said it. Maybe you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. And, you know, we as a church, we haven't really come to how we really believe about abortion. Mm. Mm. So in other words, he kind of, I think he was trying to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying to give me an out in some way or another. But the strangest thing that I experienced when I heard him say that, this, you know, shepherd, um, I, there was part of me that just thought, he, does, he doesn't have a clue. This man does not have a clue as to what's going on inside of me. I am full of guilt and shame, and I need someone not to tell me, don't be so hard on yourself. I need someone to tell me the truth, Mm. that the blood of Jesus Christ is stronger and louder and can cover the blood stains that are on your hands. Amen. Mm. Amen. That's what would have given me some relief that day. Mm. And I walked away from that experience not feeling free, but feeling like, you know, almost like I wanted to turn the tables and start ministering to him. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was ridiculous. But, I, but you know, so I honor him for being compassionate. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, because he just was. But at the same time, it's like you did not give me the, the, the meat that I was needing, that my desperate soul was needing. Mm. And so my message to pastors and church leaders and ministry leaders is, you know, we hear a lot about creating a culture of life in our churches, mm-hmm. which I say yes and amen a hundred times. We need to create a culture of life telling the truth. We're telling the truth of what 
what abortion is, that it's the shedding of innocent blood and child sacrifice, but also the truth that God's grace and the blood of Jesus is stronger than that. So we need to not only honor life and create a culture life, but we also at the same time need to create what I call a culture of healing. Mm. Like you need to have a culture where your people um, know that it's safe to bring the hidden things into the light. Mm -hmm. And if you're not a church that that kind of cultivates a healing atmosphere, healing attitudes, you know, that that we we don't operate in condemnation or, you know, we don't just not talk about it. We do talk about it. We bring it to the light, and we offer you grace and a path to healing. Mm. So when we help our churches develop both of those, culture of life, culture of healing, then those who are in the shadows, those who are silent, they're going to come out. Mm. They're going to come out into the light. Man, I hear you saying something, many things that are just vital. They are important. They are indispensable. And among those things, Karen, I hear you saying that there is no amount of just self-help and, you know, turn yourself around and change your mind that we can offer women that will allow them to overcome that internal conscience that God has given each and every one of us that there is right and there is wrong. And it seems that in some instances in our churches, we have traded some self-help for the true delivering and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the life of believers. Absolutely. So here's how I would here's how I would maybe say that that you know the consequences of abortion are not just symptoms. So a lot of times, even if even like a secular approach to uh, you know maybe addressing abortion, even though many secular therapists will will not acknowledge that abortion is as damaging to a woman or to a man, but still they kind of approach it as a symptom. And and you know if we can just get you over this you know, grief or guilt or shame or whatever, you can just go on with your life. But but abortion needs to be viewed, I believe, as they as a root cause. It's not just a symptom. It's a root cause of all these ways that you are manifesting um you know, just emotional brokenness or mm-hmm. spiritual brokenness. And so when we address it as um that abortion is not I the reason you feel guilty is not because someone imposed that on you. It's because you have you have true moral guilt. You know we are guilty before God yeah. when we transgress His laws, and and the way to and that's actually um, I was just saying this to someone this morning. This is actually you know guilt and shame can be a blessing. See, it's a blessing that God is letting us know that we've crossed a boundary, mm-hmm. like we have transgressed something, mm-hmm. and they, uh, and but He doesn't want us to stay there. Right. He just wants us to recognize that's what. This is why this is going on. And so when we bring that before him in repentant, you know, humble and contrite heart, then he is going to apply his wonderful grace and blood and forgiveness. He wants to deliver us from that state. But he needs us to recognize that this is not just a symptom. This is a this is a transgression. This is a moral line that we have crossed. Oh my goodness, Karen, I just yesterday, I was saying almost the very same thing you just said, just the last line there, that when you talk about guilt and shame, it is a blessing. The ability to feel guilt and to feel shame is an intangible 
um, I would say indispensable need that we have in order for there to be repentance and for there to be forgiveness. Like you wouldn't tell a person who puts their hand on the hot stove that you don't feel that heat. No, you just need to look on the bright side of things. But the heat causes us to recoil. It causes us to pull back from that pain. And we are denying men and women this blessing that is guilt, that is shame, so that they can come to the one who can lift that from them. Karen Ellis, the founder and director of Deeper Still, we're going to talk more about this post-abortive ministry when we get back. Aaron the Addison's AFR. We'll be right back. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. God only knows what you've been through. Amen. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison on American Family Radio. It's our privilege to spend an hour with you each day, each weekday at least, talking about the issues of the day and making much of Jesus Christ. We really believe this, guys. Mm-hmm. We really believe it. Not just Christian because we're born in America. (laughs) Right. Christian because we have submitted ourselves to the full truth that there is no salvation anywhere else except in belief that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised again for our justification. That's what we believe. That's our faith. That's our claim. That's what makes us brothers and sisters in the Lord. So thank you so much for letting us spend an hour with you each day to proclaim that there is wholeness and healing in the Lord Jesus Christ and to call you to arms and action mm-hmm. uh, when your faith and your conscience comes under attack. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that was uh, for King and Country. God only knows. It's true. It's absolutely true. Uh, Karen Ellison joins us today, and uh, we are talking about the ministry that she has, um, the Deeper Still weekend retreats that mm-hmm. she hosts to help men and women who are post-abortive uh, deal with the deep scars mm-hmm. of abortion. She is also the author of the book, Healing the hurt that won't heal. Healing mm-hmm. the hurt that won't heal. Uh, Karen, we went to break here, but I, I want to ask you, how can our listeners uh, reach out to you, contact your ministry, um, also get a copy of the book? Where should they start? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, the best place I'd start is our website, and that is www.godeeperstill.org. Mm-hmm. And on there, not only can you find, um, like, if you were interested in attending one of our retreats, you know, you can um, click the menu button um, to find out where our retreats are, because we have about uh, 14 different uh, Deeper Still chapters around the country right now. And um, so there's different places around the country where you can attend a retreat. But you can also order my book from our website as well. So right on the front page, um, you know, you can find both of those resources there. Go deeper org, and we'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. So if you go to AFR.net, you'll be able to find that if you can't write it down or you think you might forget. Um, I want to open the phone lines. If mm-hmm. you're listening right now and you've got questions, I'd like to limit it to questions because Karen has graciously joined us as um, the one that the Lord is using in this ministry. So I don't, I, w- I would like for us to ask questions. So if yeah. you are maybe post abortive or if you are involved in ministry or you're trying to see what you could do in your local church and you have a question for Karen, then you can call us at 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840, and you can ask Karen your question. 
Um, but before we go to the phone lines, Will the Great, you you were wondering something. Yeah, with with the uh, retreats um, and having done them, you know, over time, uh, as it concerns men, uh, do they do men deal with the same type of feelings as the women do who are post-abortive, or is it totally different? Mm-hmm. Of course, that's a really good question. And let me talk a little bit about the men, if I can, for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it took quite a, it took some years before I knew that I or was open to in, inviting men to our retreat. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't because the, I didn't think they didn't have a need. I just didn't know if it was a good idea mm-hmm. to put women women, post-board women and post-board men in the same retreat, you know? Mm-hmm. So really, like, over a period of time, the Lord really kept that before me, and I kept feeling like also he was saying, invite my sons, you know, invite my sons into this. Mm-hmm. They need healing just as much. Wow. And start with, you know, just trust me. And so, and so, and I had several confirmations. So we began to invite men to our retreat. Well, the thing that kind of uh, blew us away right from the very beginning is when we, the Lord's presence showed up so strongly mm. that that the way um, it was just the healing it just seemed to be so much more profound when we had women and men both at this retreat mm. now I think I think women and men have more in common than than we might imagine but I think the, the, the thing for men if I was really going to address some of what I've observed and seen in men's hearts you know it's kind of like abortion goes against the design of a man, just as it goes against the design of a woman. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about men for, for a minute. Mm-hmm. So men are designed by God, their creator, to um, to be protectors, right? Mm-hmm. To be providers. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're designed to be warriors for their family. They're designed to be leaders, to lead their families, protect, provide. And, and so what abortion does to a man's heart and his sense of manhood, his sense of of his warrior spirit, whatever, it, it emasculates all that. It, wow. it, it, it like registers in his heart as a, like, I'm a failure. I, mm. I did not rise to the occasion. Mm. I did not do the very thing that, that my heart was made to do, whether he felt helpless or hopeless or angry or whatever it was he felt, it still registers in his heart as a deep wound to his, his masculinity. And mm. And but I have found that men, when you know, when they're in God's presence and they're seeking healing, and, you know, their their hearts are easily repentant. And the Lord, you know, He reaches out to His His sons because He wants to not only restore their grief, but He wants to restore their warrior spirit, their sense of leadership, their sense of confidence. And um, you know, one of the things though that I think is really hard for men to face, maybe the hardest thing is, you know, it's one thing to, to to be open about your guilt and your grief and your shame and your failure, mm-hmm. but it's another thing for men to really face, to really face that those abortions, those weren't just, you know, surgical procedures that my wife or my girlfriend or whatever had. Mm-hmm. Those were actually my children. Mm-hmm. Those were my children. And so to face that I did not protect them, and to face that they, um, you know, they were innocent children that were not protected. I think those kinds of emotions, when when the when the fathers, the men, allow their heart to connect with that, then, I mean, so many men they're scared to death of those emotions. 
Yeah. You know, but if they will allow and trust the grace of God to meet them right in that place, and he does, trust me, he mm-hmm. does, then the most beautiful, tender re- restoration of a, of a daddy's heart begins right there. And it's beautiful. Wow. You know, I, I want to kind of drill down just a little bit. In addition to the ministry that happens uh, for men who are post-abortive, and again, if you've got a question, you want to talk to Karen, you can, 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Uh, we're talking about the ministry deeper still. We're talking about healing post-abortive wounds. And so, Karen, I'm wondering if there is a period in a woman's life where she, or in a man's life, where they are absolutely set free, totally and completely healed from the guilt and the shame of, of an abortion. And I'm also, this two-part question, I'm also wondering if our churches sometimes think that there is healing that has taken place, but, and I would imagine that as your ministry um, kind of indicates that there is a need to go deeper still. Mm, really good question, Mickey. Thank you for bringing that up. So let me say a couple of things to that. First of all, um, I do think that the, the approach to most Christians and, and even churches or teachings or whatever, the approach to a wound like abortion is generally this. Have you asked the Lord to forgive you? Have, have you received forgiveness? And, you know, have you extended forgiveness to other people? It's all about forgiveness, okay? It's forgiving, asking God forgiveness, forgiving yourself, forgiving the other people involved. All that is absolutely vital, okay? But it doesn't stop there. But that's usually where people stop. So people will say to me, like, if, if I could, you know, if they're, we're talking about this, or, they, or you can just sense that their heart is still you know, has wounds in it, mm-hmm. they will all say, Christians, you know, they'll all say, well, I know I've been forgiven. That's what, that's what they say. I know I've been forgiven, so I don't really know why I would need anything else. And so I, so I usually like to say, point out, is that forgiveness is different from healing. You know, forgiveness is in healing, but forgiveness is not the totality of healing. Mm. Healing is usually more of a journey. It's, it, you know, it's kind of like, even if you had an open-heart surgery, physically, you know, they could do the surgery and, and, and sew your heart back up or whatever, but you you have a healing to go through, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't just be restored instantly like that. You need healing. And the thing that people fear, believe it or not, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but a lot of times people fear healing. And I think they fear healing not because of the concept of, of course, I'd love to be healed, but what they fear is the journey. Like, what's going to be involved in healing? It's kind of like, I don't know if I can handle the pain that I might have to, you know, face in that healing journey. And so and so that's like one of the barriers you have to help people get over is you can trust the Lord in Amen. this journey to healing. But, for, but forgiveness is just the beginning. And one of the things I say to people why we're called deeper still, you know, the quite, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, how long is this going to take? And can we get through this, you know, like how fast can I get through this kind of thing? And so my response is, it's not about, you know, how long is this going to take. It's about how deep are you willing to go. And if, you are, if you're giving the Lord kind of a blank check, like, Lord, I'm, I'm saying yes to however, whatever this journey needs to look like and however, you know, whatever you need to do, I'm saying yes. That's when the Lord can do a deep and a quick work. Karen, I'm wondering if, um, if you've ever encountered women or men who have almost, um, and, and I, I want to say this, and I, and I hope that this that it doesn't come off as like a silly question, but 
Have you encountered men or women who were reluctant to let go of their hurt and their their pain or because they almost felt like that was the punishment that they're due. Like they're supposed mm. to walk around with that guilt. They're supposed to never be over that almost as if like it's a self punishing type of feeling that they're holding on to. Do we... And I think the longer you live with your wounds and haven't really dealt with them, the more likely you are to fall into that default position that you're talking about. The longer you live with it and not deal with it, you become more, you get familiar with it for one thing. You get comfortable with yourself. You get comfortable with your wounded self because it feels familiar. And then you almost take on a victim role. Like, uh, and so you're perpetually trying to either self-atone, um, self-medicate, or you know something like that. Mm-hmm. Or you feel like, I mean, a lot of people feel unworthy to receive the Lord's forgiveness. Mm. Well, you know, when you think about that, that's really kind of a ridiculous position. I mean, we're all unworthy. Right. I mean, who's worthy? We're all unworthy to receive anything from the Lord. Mm-hmm. But if we put our pain and our guilt and our shame and our everything above the authority of the cross, and the authority of the blood of Jesus, then we're elevating our sin above what God said he could do about it. Wow. Hmm. Does that make sense? It yeah. does. Yeah, it does. For a person so, who... Oh, yeah. go, go ahead. You can finish. I'm well, sorry. So, I mean, so that is that is a lie. That that whole thing I just described, that's a kind of a stronghold that can get, you know, can get erected in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And so they're always kind of playing the victim of their wounds and never finding victory because it, it's almost like it's a... It's actually a subtle form of pride to say, I'm going to stay in my wounded kind of place because I'm not really worthy to come out of it. And, wow. and that's just a place of pride, really. Mm. And the Lord's saying, let it go. Let let me be God, mm-hmm. and you be the one that just receives from me. Wow. Yeah. Now I was going to say, for a person who's listening and maybe interested in attending one of these uh, retreats, like, uh, and who who may be kind of reluctant, what what could they expect? Uh, oh, when when they come, like, is it like seminars or, or like what can be expected for for person that's coming? Yeah. So let me contrast a little bit. This is not a seminar. Okay. It's not a conference. Because, you know, when you think about seminar, you know, you think in terms of knowledge, gaining mm-hmm. knowledge, you know, and uh, and so that, that that's a whole, that's kind of an academic exercise. They're like, this is not that. Mm-hmm. A retreat is a setting where you are, you are, um, coming apart from your normal, distracted life, and you are saying, I'm not here to be in a just like a group experience, although mm-hmm. we do have a group experience, but you, you're here for individuals. You're saying to the surgeon, the great physician, I'm willing to get on the table. I'm willing to give you my heart, expose my heart, and I'm willing to let you do a surgery. And so really that's why we do a lot. Of, we have a whole ministry team that ministers to people, and and so we make it as safe. You know, we, you know, environment is, is so important and atmosphere is so important in people feeling safe, feeling valued, feeling like, okay, this is a prepared place. And we as a ministry team, we always feel like the Lord says to us, first of all, go and prepare a place, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, when we, and we're very intentional, uh, intentional about this place that we prepare, this atmosphere, the surroundings. So that when people come, they're going to feel the peace of God immediately. They're going to sense His presence, and they're going to feel like they can exhale, and they can immediately begin to trust. And mm. you trust is a big factor when mm-hmm. you're going to 
one of the things that we pray constantly for. So Lord, let them feel your presence so that they can trust that you've, you've um, given this ministry team the grace and the authority to begin to bind up these wounds and to begin to lead them to that place of healing. Karen, one final question. We're just about out of time for pastors listening who have, you know, come to the realization that maybe they have quite a few post-abortive women and men in their congregation. Do the deeper still retreats kind of come to where people are real quick? So, so the deeper still, like I said, we have several cities around the country. You can look on our website. Mm-hmm. But the best thing, pastor, and our retreats are free of charge, mm-hmm. I might say. They're free of charge. Mm-hmm. So the best thing a pastor can do is begin to talk about it, break the silence, okay. and begin to talk about it so it's not a taboo subject. Yes, okay. Oh, Karen, best. I'm sorry. We've, we've run out of time. I'm going to give the website, godeeperstill.org. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, Lord willing. God bless.